Welcome to Marxism Today. I'm Tony Schmidt. I am joined by Thad and Red Wagner. Howdy, folks. So, uh, a while ago now, probably, uh, we were discussing Trump and just how weird and awful all of his stuff was. And one of the things we didn't talk about is uh, sort of his militarism. Or his approach to the military and how he views it and what's going on in that realm. Um, so I kind of want to start there and then maybe branch out to some ideology because it's really fun to talk about ideology. Um, so I guess for those people who don't know, Obama was really bad when it comes to how he used military might. So quick recap, George W. Bush started after September 11th started something called a war on terror which basically I think the, the law that they passed gave him carte blanche to go after in any means necessary anybody connected with September 11th attacks. They've basically broadened this to anybody who they've deemed a terrorist which is why we're helping the Saudis and Yemen and stuff like that. Um, under Bush, this took the form of going and kidnapping people from airports in the U.S. or places around the world, taking them to CIA black sites, torturing and interrogating them. Sometimes people who were completely innocent, like I know there's a couple Canadian guys who got grabbed because, oh, they meant to grab their neighbors, um, torture them for, you know years or a year or so and then like oops and let them go um and then a lot of those people they threw in guantanamo bay have not actually charged them with anything or given a trial but are still too dangerous because they don't have enough evidence or don't want to present it uh under obama he decided that we will not capture and torture people instead he just started using drones to blow people up um and his he killed a lot of people, including U.S. citizens, without uh, actual probable cause of like imminent threat, like I believe is what you need in order. If you're going to kill a U.S. citizen, I think there needs to be like a imminent threat that cannot be stopped in any other way. Otherwise, you obviously need arrest them, convict them, try them, put them to death. Um, through that legal process. And under Trump, we've gotten... Kind of what Obama did on steroids. Um, one of his first big actions uh, as president, I don't remember how many days it was, like a week into his presidency, he authorized a raid in Yemen, which they said initially gleamed all sorts of stuff, taking out these high-level Al-Qaeda guys. Except it turns out they were attacking a village uh, that had maybe a couple people who were low-level Al-Qaeda people. But they blew them up before they actually attacked the village. And the village was actually allied with us, and they thought it was Al-Qaeda attacking them. We're basically, we, he was basically helping people out, killed a bunch of civilians, including children, including... I don't know if she was a U.S. citizen. I think she was the daughter of Anwar al-Awlaki, uh, who was a U.S. citizen who was murdered by Obama. I don't, I, I don't know if that's coincidence or not. I would assume that. Um, and then since then, Trump has stepped back from his role as commander-in-chief. has basically told the generals, you're kind of allowed to do whatever the hell you want. So we've seen uh, a massive ramping up of civilian deaths. We've seen, like, um, with them trying to drive ISIS out of Mosul in Iraq, and one bombing, they killed 100 civilians who were taking shelter in a basement, and um, that's according to the army's own figures on that. They've dropped something called the mother of all bombs, which is something that everybody's been terrified to use. I don't remember what the word is for it, but basically, if you're not in the direct blast radius, if you're still within the effect radius, it 
sucks your insides out of your mouth. Okay. Like it's, it's called a bunker buster because what it does is it creates like a the shockwave creates such a negative pressure thing it basically sucks your insides out of you and kills you that way. And it's horrific and it's never been used because it's so horrific. It's the biggest non-nuclear bomb that exists. And we've just started randomly using it for funsies. Sounds like science fiction even just to hear you describe it. Right. It's, it's well, because it's grotesque. It's mm-hmm. disturbing. So anyway, that's a primer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. A couple thoughts to, to start with. How much, like going back even to, to, to the raid in Yemen... How much is that specifically on Trump's doorstep as far as culpability or, or even like agency? Because we've heard a lot that he obviously now officially is deferring a lot of control to them. But even then, you know, like when Bannon was um, appointed to a security council, he, he said, I didn't know he was per the executive order I just signed. So the, there's a lot of there's a lot to suggest that Trump really wasn't manning the controls. Not because he couldn't, but because he wasn't interested in it or whatever. And so how much is there? And um, would that be different from a traditional president? Like saying that Obama murdered somebody is that like, well, what really, because I'm not aware how far removed is he from that? Does he actually know? Is he signing off on killing specific people? And and so, yeah, first thing is, uh, how much do you think Trump really had to do with that? I think he probably wanted to take credit for it, um, but I'd be interested to know what you think. And two, uh, in general, like, how does that differ from other presidents, or is it very similar? Well, I, I would say, as far as I know, the Yemen raid was Trump signing off on it. I think it might have been sold to him as, uh, like, oh, this could be a huge success for you, because this is something they've had on the books since Obama was president. Like, this is something I've been wanting to do. Um, so I think it was sort of sold to him as like a, you know, steal your glory, or sorry, take your glory yeah. uh, early. And then when it didn't turn out to actually serve him that way, uh, it, I mean, publicly, it didn't... Publicly, it was a success, great success, huge success, well, real big. In, in, the, yeah, in the way they spun it, but there was definitely a lot of criticism leveled towards him at it. And do you think that's why he then later... I think that's them. why he just sort of defers up. Like, yeah. he doesn't read his security briefing. Like, he right. doesn't take his security briefings every day, which is super weird. But do you think Obama would have greenlit that raid? No, because Obama didn't. Okay, so th- so that's where the differences are. So you right. think that he is, whether he is consciously planning these things, he's at least being more lenient with their use. Yeah, I think for the the first Yemen raid, he gave the green light, and then I think since then he's just sort of hand-waved deferment. Right. Yeah. Obama did personally green light all of these or a lot of these drone strikes i don't know exactly but he was personally involved especially with the targeted ones and while it's unfortunate to have to kind of go down this road in it but i want to take a moment here and just say that however i might disagree with those decisions that obama made i far prefer a leader who's going to make the decisions and then have to respond to criticism to them Instead of just saying they're always successes, and and we just don't have that anymore with Trump, and, and we that, didn't have it to a huge extent with other politicians. But at least from what you're saying, Obama was aware of these things and probably greenlit them, showing a level of competency and ownership. Well, I think one of the interesting things when you look at it, especially like uh, you know from Trump's perspective, I think there's probably not much calculus involved, like. The idea that you may have thrown away a Middle Eastern life, I think, weighs zero on him. Uh, Whereas for Obama, I think it's probably more of a calculated thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if someone may or may not be a terrorist, then he has to weigh, okay, what's, what's the fallout if I don't kill a terrorist that I could have versus what's the fallout if I kill an innocent Middle Easterner? And turns out, I mean, I think this is this is a place where the American public is is kind of needs some catching up to do ideologically, because I th- I think the fallout just isn't that much, right? Like among Republicans, you never hear a critique of that, 
And among most Democrats, you don't hear very much of a critique of it. It's like only the the left wing, the the folks who are likely to vote third party. Like that's when you start getting into people that are going to be critiquing Obama. And I think it's probably because of just like a sense of not viewing people from the Middle East as equal to American citizens. Yeah. yeah. Trevor Noah um, and the Daily Show folks had a great piece on that recently. I don't know if you guys saw it, but they, they were just talking about the media's portrayal of um, you know any use of force by the American military. And, and it was specifically with like the, the bombing we did, um, the missile attack we did in Syria um, in response to more use of chemical weapons or, or reports of that and then and then the moab as well the mother of all bombs but well, if if me if journalists weren't outright praising it like i think it was like brian wilson or somebody i can't remember now um because i really try not to watch 24-hour news networks but he was just he was talking about such flowery terms like he was awe-inspired by the might and majesty of these weapons and and just just giving glowing descriptions of them on the news but one of the things that the daily show pointed out is even if you're not doing that they never show the the bombs hitting anyone and of course they never show bodies um they don't really shy away from that from like during you know say 9-11 on domestic terror attacks they'll show dead bodies so it's not just that they're afraid of showing bodies it's that these would be foreigners these would like bring home the fact that they're humans too but not only do they not show it hitting and killing people, but even the footage they use, like for the Moab, it was all test footage, sometimes done 10 years in the past. You're not even seeing it go over a city. You're not even seeing it go over a village. Like they, they, they separate it so well from any moral implications and they make it really, really, unless you're someone who's diligently going to try to look that, look for that or see that and go, why am I not seeing anything else? Why are we, it, it can make it more difficult. They're putting, instead of putting in place as a media venue, making it more easy for you to be connected to what's happening around the world, they're actually kind of putting a hurdle in the way for you to understand how it's affecting human life. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's really just even hard to know, like, when or how these are even happening. There's an app, which I should know the name of, and we'll look it up and put it in the description, that um, a guy made, a journalist made, just to track... Just whenever the U.S. drone bombs somebody, and it, the Apple would not allow it because it violated a term of their App Store thing, non-specified term. They wouldn't tell the guy what it was, and after years and years and years, they finally allowed it, and then quickly banned it again. Um, like, and all it is is just something that just says, like, it just pops up a thing like the U.S.'s drone struck this place. And he must be getting that information from public records of some sort. It's not like yeah, he's stealing it's, it, so it's, news, it's not illegal. It's coming over like newswire stuff. Sure. So it's really just they probably got some sort of pressure to not make it so visible. Right. So it's even just hard to know when these things are happening. But like when you're talking about um, the the not showing stuff, what it made me think of is this the awful little picture of the the dead baby in the Mediterranean Sea of the people who are trying to. Uh, come over here the syrian Um, refugee yeah yeah and that like i'm trying not to cry now thinking of it it's just fucking heart-wrenching to see just even one one person one child lost like that and yeah just the massive ignoring of the massive amount of life uh, and death that we cause to like because our government is you know happy to kill 20 innocent people or more if it means one maybe low-level person they think of the terrorist dies which is just an awful calculus and i really do think that if you brought that really home to most people in some way communicated it to them say say what do you think how would you feel if you your children or your grandchildren lived in a neighborhood where they could just be bombed where they could just be taken out by a foreign government um would you then do you think you would feel positivity towards that government do you think that you would living in that life of fear do you do you think you would want support and visibility from the 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 um international community and if something like that happened how would you want like 
you there's so much coverage now that uh, Save the Children Foundation and the UN they have great coverage and and new uh, videos of what it's like being a Syrian refugee and they right now they have a great campaign that's trying to get more people to to support the the efforts and um and helping refugees from Syria uh and I just I can't imagine what people see those and if see enough, enough of it and, and can't connect to those people. Because what is ho- most difficult to me is to see something like that shot or to watch the footage of these families that are displaced um, and living in, in the massive refugee camp in like Jordan or something and then have people be like, well, why do we have to help them? Like, what? who cares? <laughs> it's really, really difficult because the only thing, I think if you dig underneath that that ideology the only thing you're saying is that well we just got to help the people right here like i'm just they're not there's a quality that those people have that makes them not deserve our help and what it it must just be it's either skin color or it's just not being american and i guess you know you have to every we all kind of have monkey brains still and i understand that we want to support the things we're more familiar with and that we're closer to that intimacy helps families defend each other and protect each other but there's this massive disconnect, and it's really painful to watch. But I think it's perpetuated a bit by the fact that news will want to focus on bad stuff, and they'll want to focus on, uh, they'll want to show you bad stuff, but they'll also want to water it down in a way that makes it like so palatable. Oh yeah, they they dropped the Moab. Ooh, it's cool. It's a big bomb. That's what they reported on, and then they showed they almost did like infomercials for it. They like go to where they're manufactured, and you're like, oh, so this isn't just the right wing being like warmongers obviously obama you wouldn't typify him as a right wing so there's 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 ideology in place that it perpetuates it but there's also like just the way we talk about it it's really hard to be compassionate and empathetic if you're not searching for it in a way i mean that's why that photo is so powerful because it's like what politics do you want to apply to this it makes it very, very difficult. But people did. People politicized that and going both ways, you know, saying it w- why they should not have come there. They why are they coming to 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 Europe? They they were able to go to other places in nearby countries. Why are they trying to? It, I'm sure there are people who made that point, and I've also seen seen worse points, more callously stated, like, well, they should be helping their own and. I, we should help our own first and then get to them later. Where And the reason that falls flat to me is because a lot of those people would not support going out of their way with tax dollars just to help their own here, if you talk about your own country. I know, yeah, I think there's like a nexus, a web of re- reasons why it's difficult to see these compassionately and to think about them. And, and now it's more dangerous where you have someone like Trump there who's really going to kind of let the dogs off the leash and it was already bad when Obama seemed to be making choices I wouldn't agree with, but still seemed to be making choices. Like there was a chain of command. And if there's something he didn't sign off on, that means there's probably other things he wasn't signing off on too that were getting pushed. So yeah, it's it's frightening to me, but only in an abstract sense. And it's frightening to me in the sense like I feel really, really bad for people I'll never meet and probably never see because they're just going to be murdered. And uh, there's going to be nothing there to support them afterwards. You've brought up our news coverage a couple of times. I just wanted to offer a thought on that. Mm-hmm. The I think the way news works is it's run mainly on outrage now. And this, I think, mainly comes back to the fact that news organizations on the whole are capitalist organizations that are built on profit and that profit is derived from advertising, and advertising profits are derived from ratings. So the idea is to get as many people watching for as long as you can. And unfortunately, people um, are a little bit lazy. We're all a little bit lazy. But the bad part about that is then news kind of uses that against you uh, in the sense that challenging your perspective is a confusing thing for an audience member. It can be difficult to be shown something that challenges your beliefs, challenges your perspective. You know, it's it's as uncomfortable as, like, 
watching a detailed report about nuclear physics when you don't know the first thing about any physics. You know what I mean? Like, like some, like if I watch something or, or like just anything that you don't know anything about, like I'm, I'm not a big sports fan. There's lots of stuff about sports. I don't know if I watch like sports center, I get bored really fast because I, I just don't have much of a connection towards what anyone's talking about. I don't know who any of the people are or anything like that. That's best case scenario too. Worst case scenario is this actually challenges like fundamental beliefs you have and or things you've attached your identity to that become really difficult to watch. Right. So I think what, what the way a lot of news works now is – it takes something that you kind of already know or feel, something that, you know, the Stephen Colbert would have called has truthiness to it. And then it, like, gives you a story that confirms to that plot line, right. your, your pre-established plot line. And so there's a new format of the same old story. And that gets you enraged and angry and you think, oh, it's so important that I'm you know, following up on this and, and that we're tracking this and blah, blah, blah. But really all it's doing is just rehashing something that you think you already know without investigating the validity of that belief. I think that's probably what's happening with the that kind of coverage is to... Because, sh- like, the other thing that you can say about news media is it's sensationalistic. And there is something sensational about showing a bomb hitting people. Like, why wouldn't they show that? And I think the answer to why wouldn't they show it is because the the viewership is so unaccustomed to that, to thinking of the people in the Middle East and areas where there are terrorists or whatever as, as, um, as equal human beings. And so to show something that humanizes them all of a sudden challenges their, you know, your, your worldview. Yeah. But make sure you still let them know we're doing it because like you said, it's big, it's explosions. Those yeah. are sensationalistic. Right. Yeah. Like the, ex- the, the fact that America has a real big bomb and we have the most exciting bomb and the biggest bomb and our military is the strongest and the best that plays into already understood cultural touchstones. Yeah. That's not going to challenge anyone's worldview. So that, that can make it on because that can be, that it's a continuation of the already established story of we're the biggest and the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Two things on that. Do you guys remember back when, I believe it was Clinton, Bill Clinton, I guess we specify now that Hillary Clinton is, (laughs) has been a major I mean, the last decade more than he has, uh, political player. When Bill Clinton was bombing Iraq, do you guys remember that, like, CNN and stuff would be, like, standing on the roof of a building in Iraq and just sort of showing the bombs land, like, fireworks? I I recall footage like that, yeah. Yeah. Like, speaking of it as spectacle and not showing, like, that just makes me think of that, like, this is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in my life, or, like, well, there goes another one, and oh, you can see here, but and it's just like it treating it like fireworks. It's just such a bizarre thing. So, I mean, this isn't really a new phenomenon with the news. Um, I think they've refined their technique greatly since then. Uh, and the other thing it makes me think of is Yoda. Uh, anger leads to hate. Hate leads to the dark side. Um, well, I'm, I think I'm misquoting them a little bit, but <clears throat> people really dig down in their hand, especially, like I said, when it challenges your fundamental beliefs. But, like, the media, and especially once you get sort of a little fringy, can get so weird about this and get people so worked up to the, with the ridiculously, obviously absurd Pizzagate thing. I, I don't even exactly know the details. There was supposedly, like, a child pornography ring run out of a pizzeria in new york by the hillary clinton campaign which is feel how you will about hillary clinton just that on the face of it is just the most absurd thing like you would say that about trump and i would feel it's the most absurd thing like it's absurd just on the face of it but the fact that yeah like it 
it sounds like satire, right? Like yeah. that 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 should be in the same category as like, oh, you know, Ted Cruz bathes in human blood. Right, like, he's the Zodiac I, killer. Right, yeah. like if you read that, yeah. you'd be like, oh, that's like a funny Onion article or whatever. Right, but the fact that they that people can get so froth up to the point where somebody comes to that place with a gun to kill people because they think that's real, like people. People like to stew in that sort of stuff. And that that's what makes this sort of news not only irresponsible, but scary that they just disregard things. One of the beginning parts of the topic was, um, what's the war against terror like under Trump? Or what's militarism like under Trump? I think one of the interesting things to look at is... During the campaign trail, I felt like it was a little bit up in the air exactly how it was going to work out. Because I think there were two strands. One, Trump is definitely, like, a, like he's definitely pro-police, anti-immigrants, anti-basically any person of color. Uh, and, and along with that comes, like, this pro-military kind of thing. But at the same time, he was often, like, pro-isolationist. He did not, like, he was against the Iraq War. I don't think he was when it first was declared, but during the campaign, he was. Um, partly because everyone was against the, camp, the Iraq War in the campaign. I don't think there was a single candidate saying that it was the right call. But... That, I thought, was interesting to me. Um, that so the, Because it led to the question of, is he going to be a military accelerationist, or is he going to be kind of an isolationist? And I think what we found is, you know, when, like, when, when he went through with that order to, to, to respond, what was it, to the gassing of some group of folks... And he and part of the response was that bombing Moab, an airstrip and yep. Well, that was I don't think that was the more was that the Moab in response no, to that man, specifically. No, it's a cruise missile. Just, yeah, oh, cruise okay. missile. I'm bombing so an airstrip were... where the Russians had been informed of it and moved left already, and it was up and functional well, the next day because the they Syrians let the it. or the Russians let the Syrians know mm-hmm. and they moved out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was highly praised by both Democrats and Republicans. Uh, and it seemed like such an obvious like PR tactic to me because it seems so impotent but also so flashy. Like it didn't, it did nothing. I don't know. I don't understand why anybody supported that. Well, Raytheon's stock jumped up, and Trump is a heavy stock owner in Raytheon. But like in the but, Democratic side, I don't get it. Oh, they love war. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I, yeah. That's a simplistic way of putting it, but I don't have a better way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, to me, that was a little bit of a wake-up call in the sense that, like, like we here in this room are pretty tuned in to lefty politics in one way or another. At least we're around it a little bit. But it made me realize, ooh, I, I felt very isolated in my political views when I saw how many Democrats were praising that. Because it's like, oh, no, like... That, that mainstream Democratic Party, you know, every once in a while you get one of those wake-up calls that reminds you, like, oh, yeah, Democratic Party is is the party of capitalism. That's what I felt at that moment, were anyway. They, were they praising it because it was a response to the use of chemical weapons? Is that what they were yeah, praising? It's presidential. Oh, I, God, I'm so glad I didn't see any of that stuff. It's like, that would have pissed me off. what a normal like, president would have done, yeah. That's and, seriously what... Because I could well, almost see it framed if you framed it like... This guy did a war atrocity, so we're responding yeah, to it. Right. Yeah, I think that was part of it. Except okay. that there wasn't actually evidence as to whether or not it was Assad or the separatists, because both have used chemical weapons. And it was so immediate, and it was so ineffectual. Like, yeah. it, like none of that should matter. To, but yeah, I, okay, if, if it was framed in that way, at any, then I'm not living in a bonkers world. But yeah, that's that's still really, really not... Yeah, I don't know how to put it, but it's not great. So one of the interesting things, I was on a business trip to the Middle East recently, and it was during that time that Trump did that response to the gassing. When, and 
that was really interesting to me. It was the first time I'd ever been in the Middle East, and I was working with some locals there because that was part of my job to do that. And there was not a ton of downtime, but a little bit where there was just the casual political talk, uh, which I found very interesting. A couple of observations from that trip was... Middle East, the Middle Easterners, at least the folks I spoke to, who aren't, like, experts in any way, they're just, you know, working people, uh, they felt that uh, Americans, that like, one of their major concerns was that Americans didn't understand the Middle East, and that our perception of the Middle East was it's a whole bunch of terrorists wearing masks just driving around the desert with AK-47s. Like, and there was nothing else. There were no cities or anything. It was just basically terrorists driving around with guns. So they have a really solid grasp, actually, on American society. Yeah, actually, like, I wanted to tell them that that wasn't true, and I couldn't tell them that that's not what Americans think. Right. It's like 24, like, that, or any other TV depicting, like, that is terrorists like always how it's depicted the middle east is yeah it's a desert and there are people in a shitty pickup truck with ak-47s yelling scary sounding things in arabic basically taliban ruled afghanistan is like the all of the middle east Mm because i mean that was what was popularized after 9-11 like depicting it that way and yeah yeah so it's interesting too that they have that per that they've gotten exposed to the fact that we do kind of portray them that way right because like i've got an idea of how other cultures see america but i feel like they had a very strong grasp All on to do is, how america yeah. views them they just have to watch our leaders talk i suppose and, and yep. see some of the news coverage for them yeah yeah and and the interesting thing so the like i don't like Again, I wasn't talking to, like, political analysts or, like, professors of political science or anything like that. It's just regular people's observations. You know, one thing that a gentleman said to me was, uh, you know what? I think it's great that Trump wants to make America great. But he was concerned that Trump didn't get the Middle East in the same way, that that he thought of the Middle East as a bunch of terrorists. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you... Like, I'm not sure if you know what he means when he says that. I'm not sure Trump knows what he means when he says that, but it's one of these things that sounds good, and it sounds like you're kind of picking up on the fact that this is a vaguely positive-sounding phrase, and you like positive-sounding phrases. Like, the you know, to me, I'm much more cynical where it's like, okay, what's that code for? Is is that code for rolling back the clock on civil rights, women's rights? What You know, what is make america great again mean the again is is the the problematic part of that almost always for me because it's always it's like well what part are you talking about yeah where you you wanted to go back to because it's not great for everybody at any point right 1750 yeah yeah but, but i guess my point is i felt like i was not encountering a knee jerk anti americanism sure not to say that that doesn't exist or that some people don't have it, but, like, mm-hmm. I was actually surprised that, you know, he knew a Trump phrase and thought it was a good phrase and supported it, even though I didn't support it. But that it was sort of like, okay, he wants to make American America great again, but why is he bombing us? You know? Like, I was a little bit afraid, just kind of for myself over there, that, like, you know, you don't really want to be an American in a region that is being bombed by America. And I, will, I was in a pretty safe country, so it wasn't, like, yeah. a thing that I was... You were in one of the ones we like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, and, and you know, pretty modern, too, actually, and, and very, like, Westerner-friendly. But, like, still, to just be in this same like i don't know i don't know what you call the middle east it's not a continent really but like same region region i guess just to be in the same region as where america is bombing people and people are like hey you're american why is your president bombing us no one no one asked me directly but i'm sure a lot of people would have wanted to if they felt like they could have politely 
I was in Dubai. Yeah, I I doubt the United States would bomb Dubai. <laughs> like, of places they would right. bomb. Yeah. It's probably at the bottom of their list, um, which is, you know, good yep. if you're there. But Dubai is pretty small. It's like, pretty small, but it's pretty affluent. You don't need to go that far until you're not in Dubai. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting, though, like, um, I brought up ideology, but I really feel like the way that uh, the people you encounter describe U.S.'s view of the Middle East is... 100% how they try and ideologically portray it. Like, to justify this war, this continued war and terror, which is absurd because all of the people who were responsible or had any hand in September 11th are dead or in prison by us. Um, so, I mean, the law justifying this war and terror is basically void, or should be void at this point. Do you think it... Do you think it matters politically? Because what's interesting here to me is that the Iraq War is looked at pretty unfavorably across across the aisle, right? It, you you mentioned with like the the Republican primary, nobody spoke out positively with it. So the Iraq War, and I'm, I'm guessing lumped in with that, is going to be like our our actions in Afghanistan and things to that nature are looked at unfavorably because some time has passed and not much came out of it. And yet continued acts of aggression, continued the drone strikes and these types of things, they're, they're still seen as political tools to like engender support. And it and seems to work to some extent with the, the media unf- doing a poor job of covering it, maybe being part of the, the problem here. But do you think... So I would say some voters on the right would feel a nationalistic pride in seeing those bombs and and feeling like, yep, we got to strike back, and they're not going to be too interested in the nuances of what's happening. But then, do people on the left care, or do more moderate voters that voted for Trump because of the the economic disparity in the country do they care? Like, what what are your senses of that? Like, does it have an effect? I think it's reported. I think the ideological situation is such that people basically think if we don't bomb the Middle East somewhere, that terrorists are just going to start exploding everything. <laughs> like, see, I, I, no, I, I it's like, um, I like to harp on uh, these dumb cop shows uh, and stuff. But if, if you watch these awful NCIS and all these other type shows, what you'll find is that a a shockingly large proportion of them, including ones where, uh, like Castle with the, which is now over, with the wonderful Nathan Fillion. Um, Mm -hmm. It's hard to hate that show because he's so likable. But like, a huge, a disproportionate one of those shows are them stopping terrorist attacks. Like, Yep. A bomb's gonna go off. Oh, we need to stop it now. And you know, any means, whatever, blah blah blah. You know, it's just they're so ideologically layered. When the fact is that that never happens. Like the only time I can think of where police were actively going after terrorist suspects is the after the Boston bombing, in which case they case they basically declared martial law and had tanks rolling down the street, which. I don't know if it's actually an effective way to try and find two people, uh, but it's definitely a terrifying way to find two people. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm no expert on police tactics or military or anything like that, but it doesn't seem like it necessarily is the... It seems like more of a knee-jerk reaction than necessarily a best reaction, but... Again, I, I won't quote myself as an authority on that. But for the, this dramatization of how um, dealing with poli- and investigating terrorist groups and, and stopping them, portraying it that way, lends itself to this, this fantasy that it is always like, we have right. to strike back, they're about to hit, when really it's probably like police work and breaking up a group years before they'd actually end up doing something like breaking up their supply chain or breaking like arresting somebody for trying to send something to iraq or something like you you it's these small uninteresting unsensational stories that actually probably take place 
every many times a year around the world whereas the the bombing i mean it's very difficult to to actually prove this but my understanding of human nature is it, from the the limited experience i've had and and read and and learned from people is that these the strikes that i'm seeing they probably do more to create and radical create terrorists and radicalize people than to actually stop terrorist plots right. like unless you just you you have a terrorist group that they're like let's have our 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 sunday ice cream social and this building all together and let's also bring all our plans here and all our weapons oh we all got bombed and we're dead that like never happens. They're always separate. They're always working with with modern day technology. They're all over the place. They're new groups bringing up all the time. So if you destroy one, they can make an example of it and of martyrs. Like it's so complex. And to to dumb it down to that, unfortunately, yeah, that that popular cable or or um, primetime TV show mentality just does us such a disservice it, it lets us keep supporting like you said i i agree i think that there is a sense where like well if we stop this war on terror we're going to have more terror attacks whereas i don't think any of the stuff i don't think like the tsa <laughs> or homeland security can point to a whole lot of their successful um uh, intervention it's a, probably a lot more just like in the intelligence community really working hard and way early on in the process instead of wait that that van it's coming for us, and it has a like. Yep. Unfortunately, and I, 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 the reason that I, that I care is that the Cracked Podcast used to talk about this a lot because they would always um, break down TV shows and movies, and they said, "Why does that matter?" And it's like because I think that that becomes shorthand for how people think about these things in real life, and I think that matters, and I think it ties back into everything we've said about the media. You know, going back to I think the question that started this part of the discussion, you're asking about. Oh, yeah. about how the Iraq war became unpopular and how's that working with things today. I think that's actually quite interesting to think about. Um, a couple of observations. The Iraq war was set up kind of like one of those TV shows. It was like, the they have weapons of mass destruction and we need to strike yeah. now and we will... You know, this war will be over in a matter of months, Donald Rumsfeld said. And when the war did not, was not over in a matter of months, was, you know, whatever, six years going and it was still there. And when there were no weapons of mass destruction, and when there was this pretty compelling ulterior motive about oil uh, that fit, like, with the people and personalities that are in control of some of the major decisions, all of those things combined, plus I think some Americans dying, really helped turn the American public against the war in Iraq. The war on terror, however, that doesn't have those those boundaries. So sure. w- war on terror is kind of forever. And nobody, no one said... War on terror is only going to last a few months. No one said there will be this kind of weapon in this spot and we will find it. And then they never did. That, you know, there's the war in Iraq had a falsifiable, like that it had like, they wrote their own rubric for what was good and what was bad. They said what they were going to do and what there would be. And then, they fail and then you could check off each one and say, fail, 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 fail. And then it becomes this big joke that George Bush stood in, su- in front of this banner that said, mission accomplished. Right? Like, like just the, the juxtaposition of those two me- meant that that war was kind of a joke now. And not even the Republican Party could support it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um. The problem with the war on terror is that we haven't defined those things. And so no matter how ineffectual or no matter how long or no matter how whatever, like there's no rubric. There's no nothing to grade the war on terror on. And that's what we need is, a, you know, that in one way, it was really smart of anyone in support of militarism to have realized to not set up any goalposts for the war on terror because that they've avoided criticism because of that. But at the same time, that's what we need to have. Otherwise, 
I don't see how we can turn around the war on terror. I think they actually, and I'd have to double check, but I believe they specifically tied it to September 11th, though. So I believe it's a war on terror as regards to people having a hand in September 11th. Do you think people think about it that way now, no, though? Absolutely no, absolutely not. Yeah. Nobody yeah. thinks about it that way. So even but if I think, they did say that, it's successfully I think, morphed. Right. It's yeah. successfully morphed, but I think technically it is supposed to be that. But again, I'd have to double check on that one. Yeah. yeah. Because them, if it's morphed, it's morphed so well that I couldn't tell you offhand. It, yeah. And without them, like you're saying, it, laying out some criteria for what it means to, to succeed or fail, it's interesting to think about because... Yeah, if there's no terror attacks um, on American soil like there haven't been, you could say you're doing a good job and you're stopping them. And if there are some, you could say, we need more. We need to beef up. And uh, Yeah, that, and if you're against it, you can say, well, there wouldn't have been any. Or you could say, you caused them by continuing the yeah. war. Like, everyone gets their own narrative. Yeah. Yeah. When, and, when nothing's really well defined. Right. Yep. And talking about, like, how the war on terror is fought, um, you sort of touched on that, like... My understanding is basically they'll arrest people who send, they'll find people who send money is one way. And the other thing that the FBI does is they basically entrap people. This is the majority of the arrests they've made um, in regards to this sort of stuff is they'll find somebody who's unhappy with America, uh, Muslim, and they'll just sort of like egg them on. Mm. Like one case I'm mildly familiar with is... Uh, somebody didn't like America, you know, Muslim person. They, FBI undercover agents, started talking to him and were like, you know, you should blow up a bridge. Because like, eh, I don't know about that. And they talked to him, talked it up, and talked him into blowing up a bridge. Then they supplied him with the materials and means to get it because he didn't have them on his own. And he tried to, like, even back out of it, like, like at the last minute. He's like, no, no, no I don't want to do this. And they talked him into going through it with it. And, of course, there was fake explosives, and then they arrested him. When was this? Oh, I'd have to look. I want to say 2004 off the top of my head. But, but every once in a while, a, a story like that comes out of the woodwork, where, uh, like, oftentimes it is, like, a, a police force of some kind, FBI or whatever, who's kind of entrapping someone to do this mm. right these are people who aren't happy with the u.s but unless these groups like egg them on like this and like supply them with everything they would just be unhappy with what the u.s is doing they're predisposed to being radicalized but without it something a factor they're doing it pushing them they probably would not get to that point which uh, that's why entrapment's troubling to me because I think there's probably some very specific scenarios where maybe it makes sense, where it's like, if you yep. ve- if you do very little to push them in that direction, maybe. But, yeah, whenever I hear something like this, I just, man, that's troubling. So, <laughs> that's... Yeah, like, is it, a, is it a normal amount of pushing that we could expect someone yeah. else to do, or is it a super, super, whatever, yeah. uh, effort to push them over to the edge. Well, and be- because that line thing. is so gray or, or undefined, I'm fine with entrapment being completely illegal. Like, I'm fine with that never being good because it'd be so hard to morally define that. And even if you're able to, you're right. probably fallible, or you're definitely fallible, and what you're thinking is probably wrong. And I don't know. Like, there's always going to be exceptions where you just right. put an innocent person, basically right. you force them into committing a crime and going to jail. Yeah. And mm-hmm. as far as I know, I don't think there's very many entrapment programs for, like, right-wing, race-motivated terrorists. Right. Well, and that's another <laughs> yeah. thing to talk yeah, about. that's a good point. Is, um, just a couple days ago, The Intercept put out a good article about how you in the United States, you're far more likely to be killed by a right-wing uh, terrorist, which, of course, is never called a terrorist, mm-hmm. um, than uh, an Islamic terrorist. Yeah, that's just someone with mental health issues. Right, yeah. They have mental health issues and want to murder a bunch of people who aren't white. Um. <laughs> and here's my thing, too, is f- call those people terrorists, but also start talking about terrorists as being often case people with mental health issues who are yeah. radicalized to the point of such extremism, often because of underlying trauma, PTSD, a, a lot of other uh, emotional and behavioral mental issues. Mm-hmm. That's that's legitimate. It's fine yeah. to, to okay. categorize those together and to talk about those, but we don't want to. 
Yes. Yeah. We all, yeah. I, I completely agree that the, the, the Venn diagram of probably has some mental health issues and is willing to kill people for a political cause probably has a lot of overlap. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we treat it like if you're white, then it's totally one category. And if you're non-white, then it's totally this other category. Yeah, this is something that always sort of gives me hope about humanity, oddly enough, uh, is that, like, the TSA is a joke. Like, I, I don't know why they are allowed to do all the things they do which are completely ineffectual in every test they run on them. But, like, if a person, especially in the United States, wanted to kill a bunch of people, there's so many guns, there's so many anything else, you could just kill a bunch of people so easily unfortunately a lot of people do well a lot of people do but here's the other thing a lot of people don't most don't like you know like the the ones that really get sensational like the bombings and stuff and taking down planes like man most people even uh, you're 100 percent average person like whatever character who gets frozen in uh, idiocracy, I can't remember his name. You know, your completely average Joe. Like they could do horrific things if they wanted to, but the fact that like so few of these things happen, you know, gives me a little bit of hope that it really is only super zealots and just super sick people who do these sort of things. Yeah, like even even with record high numbers of people killed in mass shootings it's still like infinitely more likely that you're just gonna be killed in a car crash or something right like and yeah violent crime in the u.s has been on a steady decline for the last i think 30 or 40 years too i mean the mass shootings get talked up more and they're horrific and (laughs) no or something that actually something needs to be done about instead of just giving greater access to weapons to people but, like, you know, the fact is that violent crime is going down. You guys know that Mr. Rogers quote when he's talking about when there's big tragedies, what his mom told him? No. He, 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 and I'm going to be paraphrasing, so I might I might butcher this, um, the particulars of it. But he's talking about how, as a younger person, he would see tragedies on the news and just talk about how dark they made the world look and how depressing it became. And his mother's response to him was, um, always look, in those cases, always look at the people who are helping. Because that can reaffirm your belief in, in the goodness of humanity. Because in every one of those cases, the, there are so many more people wanting to help than wanting to hurt. And with the Portland incident, you have that very, very well spelled out for you. It's part of the, it's part of the news story because it's part of the tragedy that there were men who were willing to step in, stop this man from harassing, um, Muslim girls on, on the, the train there in Portland. And they ended up paying, two of them paid their life and one was severely injured. That's part of the narrative of that news story, and it should be, but there's so many news stories where you have a shooter or a bomber, and that's one person doing something evil, and there's so many people that put their life in risk to help those people. There's so many people that that went out of their way, put themselves in bodily harm to save or or support the people who were hurt and injured or, 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 you know, who ended up dying. And I think we're doing a little bit better of that even against the best efforts of media because like with the the london um one of the more recent london attacks they were really going out of their way at least one i don't i want i'd want to look this up actually because i think they deserve some praise which news um organization was doing this but they were going out of their way to talk about some of the people who were helping um giving to the point of giving them portraits uh, instead of giving the the attacker a portrait giving them a, a bio talking about their life and saying that they helped them and it, it, and i think it was spurned because there was one it was urged on because there was one cop who went out of his way to help and he ended up getting killed uh, but they did it with others and that's what we that's what we have to focus on it it, it is cuz it's so easy where we if you do again you get this narrative this fantasy built for you where everything is as bad if the world was just the news, it would not be sustainable. We would be done. We would not have the millions of people who support each other, the millions of people who go to work every day, the millions of people who don't hurt each other, the millions of people who think of creative ways to solve problems around the world and help each other. Even with people they've ne- they'll never meet, you just don't have those stories. And if we're going to talk about some of like the moral impacts of these, I think, yeah, it's something I really struggle with trying to remember because it, things can get really dark if you don't. And I totally agree. And it's not even that most of the people don't do that stuff. 
because most could be 50.0001%. It's that 99.9999999% of the people don't do that stuff. And that's that's the staggering thing. That's the stuff we should try to also be incorporating into how we digest this. So that's a really positive note to end on. I have another thing we can talk about with relation to this. Yeah. That I don't know if we want to because it'll take it a less positive way. It's okay. Well, it's because you brought up the Portland thing. I don't know if any of you guys saw, but did anybody see that the right-wing social media was going on and on until the preliminary hearing for that uh, guy about how that guy was really left-wing and supported Bernie Sanders? Mm -hmm. I did see just a smidge of that. And then, of course, then he gets into court and he screams death to Antifa or however however you say it. But he legitimately had Facebook. Like he was a, he was just a mentally ill guy for sure, who had a lot of aggression, um, and and I think he probably had latent like neo Nazi stuff. But he did support Bernie because Bernie yeah. was uh, obviously like there's a it's that it is that interesting bridge between Bernie supporters and Trump supporters that exists. They're both populists is one of the big things, right? And but he had that. Except I think. There's no way to ever really prove this, but obviously one's message was a little bit more, uh, you know, eager or a little bit more complacent with violence, a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more xenophobic. And I think that ended up affecting him. You can see it in the quality of his post. He doesn't start saying things like, we need to kill Muslims and Christians who don't um, preach peace and stuff. So, like it's funny that it, it's funny in a very very dark way that one of his Facebook posts says that he you need to he needs to kill Christians who aren't um, peaceful because he's basically just talking about being a non peaceful Christian. But yeah, I, there was that there. I don't think they were faked, right? D- they didn't turn out that he that those posts were faked, but he was like a Bernie supporter. Yeah, I mean, I I just think it's it's this weird thing that I see get run with a lot that drives bothers me a lot that like somehow if you go far enough left you curl over to the right and maybe this is a whole topic for another time too but it's like because in my mind uh things i stand for which are left-wing things are equality um you know human dignity everybody getting what they need at the bare minimum Things like that, whereas the right is hierarchy, uh, oppression of people lower in the hierarchy to support the people higher up, and if you go far right, you know, by any means necessary. So it's just, I don't know if it's Stalin that that makes it where people are like, oh, well, communists and Nazis are the same sort of thing. Could be. Where you you hear that because Stalin was a terrible person. He was a fucking awful dictator, but he also wasn't a communist. He wasn't a socialist. He was an awful, basically right-wing dictator. I think it mostly, like a lot of the problems in the world, gets trumped up to not thinking about people complexly and thinking about ideas and, and, and giving them the thinking about them in a way that serves how com- complicated they are. Because you could say that because this guy was a Bernie supporter, um, he went too far left and became a Trump supporter, but it's more likely that he just really liked Bernie because it had that populist message it, it, to a guy who really felt disenfranchised, and Hillary didn't stand for that for him, but Trump was the next best one, and so he went that way. And and I'm sure it's even much more complicated than that, right? Like, it could also be that they were both white guys to him. Like, it, it also comes down to this indivi- each individual, right? And I, uh, I, it would be difficult to say, but I also don't think that what appealed to this guy about Bernie's message was equality forever. Like forever, I think it, what okay. appealed to him was equality for for his demographic too, because. Of course you care about that if you're disenfranchised. Of course you care about that if you're poor and your community is suffering. Um, but you, you care about it for your, for your community. You don't care about it as a moral or value. Um, and I'm not actually against that. I totally understand that I, as a human. Like, of course you'd feel that way. Um, that's not to say you'd feel like him necessarily, but I also understand just caring first for your community and your family before loftier morals. 
But but yeah, I think that there's where you find that bridge. It blows my mind too. Like I've had trouble just thinking about it. Like, um, you know, because he wasn't the first person I thought about it with. By the way, I just know that there's a lot of people who were were supported supported Bernie and then switched to Trump and or voted for Obama in the past and switched to Trump. And it's just analyzing those threads. It's been interesting to me because to me and I think to both of you, they just seem so diametrically opposed. Yeah, I mean, I think. If you really pay attention to policy and what people stand for, then Trump and Bernie are opposite sides of the spectrum. If you don't pay very close attention and you just kind of are picking up vibes, what what vibe does Hillary, Hillary Clinton give? What vibe does Trump give? What vibe does Bernie give? If you're doing that at that level, then it totally makes sense to me for you to support Bernie or Trump and then switch at some point because the vibe that you get from Bernie and Trump, even though Trump's vibe is an angrier version, both the thing that their vibe has that's the same is I want to change things a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, Hillary Clinton was, Hey, we're doing pretty good right now. We're going to kind of stay the course and do better in the future. And I'm establishment, by the way. Like, I'm not, I'm part of that. Yeah. Whereas Bernie and Trump, there's weird connections for different reasons. Like, Bernie isn't interested in, in campaign donations from big corporations because it's part of his ideology. And then Trump over here is saying, I'm rich, I don't need their money. Mm-hmm. We're, in, we're finding out now, and what we suspected, I think, in the past, he's incredibly corrupt and has huge ties to lots of different corporations, perhaps even foreign, um, foreign bodies. But, uh, but yeah, but there is a parallel there. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think it, to me, it fits in with somebody who's just frustrated yeah. and they're not exactly, they don't have a strong analysis as to why things are not so good, but they know they want things to be very different. Right. And so they want a big change and they're not really sure what that change is, but these two guys seem to want to change things a lot. Yeah. There's also a, where I also see this sort of thing and have since, well, before it's important thing is the Hillary supporters. Ooh, I'm going to say gone off the deep end. I had a brief encounter on Twitter with some of them the other day. Um, and I just, I just really confused by them. Like the animosity towards Bernie Sanders, like as Hillary, basically it seems to be Hillary Clinton, uh, to use a religious allegory is Jesus and Bernie Sanders is Satan. Like is basically how they treat it. Cause I, or he's Judas and Trump is Satan or something. Oh, like. yeah, that's probably better. Um, yeah, I, I like that better. We'll go with that one. <laughs> um, pretend I said that. Um, but, like, because one of them said something just really rude and arrogant. And I made some offhand comment about, like, oh, there's this sort of attitude that helped win you the election. And they're like, Bernie Sanders is a misogynist piece of shit neo-Nazi. And I'm like, what the fuck are you on about? Like, just, like, the animosity and the ridiculousness as to which this goes i guess it sort of goes back to talking about like news and like when you mm-hmm. challenge people's beliefs but it, it like the idea to it's just so weird even if there is somewhat from a few people an overlap that hillary clinton's camp which i guess you call the mainstay democratic party that they see basically zero difference between anybody who supported Bernie Sanders and anybody who supported Trump for whatever reason. It's just sort of mind-boggling. Or to even equate the two people, like, themselves as similar. Right. Whenever you see that, whenever you see a breakdown of complexity or nuance in, in any argument or situation, you just have to ask yourself what are the motivations behind that that simplification because there's a reason why they don't want to look at those things on a more complex spectrum and it's because it makes their their personal message their their agenda more difficult to swallow that creates cognitive dissonance in a lot of cases and so there's probably something behind that they want to think that hillary would have won if it weren't for bernie they want to think that this is that that bernie's the reason that 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 they're losing traction in in the you know across congress or whatever that there maybe there's even a lot more but there's inhuman experience though just in how human nature works it's almost always the case there's usually it, it can sometimes just be 
plain ignorance and, and well-meaning person cannot understand how things work. But usually if someone is knowingly simplifying things, distilling down stuff to um, very simple elemental terms, got to look at what they're cutting out and why. And that's probably it. And also the couple people you talk about on Twitter, you know, just like we've talked about in other cases, they're not necessarily representative of the whole movement. But what else can we do other than talk to these people? Like we do need to try to communicate and see what's going on. I I think maybe not the last episode, but prior, some, at some point recently we talked about the division in the Democratic Party and what we think it'll turn out to be in the future. And yeah, I mean, that's why it's interesting to listen to them and see where it's going because 2018 is not far away. And if we want to take some control back in the House um, and Senate, well, there's going to have to be more conversation going on between the, the establishment Democrats and the progressive ones. I, th- I, I assume so. I assume we need to work together, but maybe not. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, though, what happens. Marxism Today is created by Red Wagner and Tony Schmidt and is a project of the Democratic Socialists of America, Madison, Wisconsin chapter. We are not official spokespeople of the DSA and the views expressed in this podcast are our own. You can find us on Twitter at Red Wagner 2, that's the number 2, and Schmidt AJ, that's S-C-H-M-I-T-T-A-J. Our episodes are all available for download on our blog, marxismtodaypodcast.wordpress.com. You can share your thoughts about this episode and others on our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash marxismtoday. Also, you can find information about the Democratic Socialists of America Madison chapter on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash DSA Madison. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.